This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. A statue of Harriet Tubman has been unveiled at the Central Intelligence Agency in Northern Virginia. At the museum, we saw this as a way to talk about the lineage of intelligence across American history. That's Robert Byers, museum director at CIA. But our feature interview today is with Ernestine Tina Martin Wyatt. She's Harriet Tubman's three times great grandniece. And I asked her what was going through her mind when she cut the ribbon at the unveiling of the statue. That statue on those grounds is just a reminder of who she was and what she did for this country. That's what was going through my mind. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Remember the Lost Boys of Sudan? 20,000 boys of the New Era and Dinka ethnic groups were displaced and orphaned. And this took place during the Second Sudanese War from 1987 to 2005. Some of these boys ended up in resettlement programs here in the U.S. One of them ended up being my friend, Abraham Awolich. Things got better. He went back to South Sudan. But now things have erupted again. And they continue to pursue us. So in the end, uh, if we want to continue to be a voice, we had to leave the country. Uh, and we went into the region, uh, into Uganda, into uh, Tanzania, and then came here in October uh, to the United States in October 2021. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. I'm American, but my race is mixed with Indian and Hispanic. And my current location is Ohio. My name is Gwendolyn Hume. I'm Anishinaabe. I grew up in Northwestern Ontario. My name is Wendell Osbrook, African American, uh, Washingtonian. I'm Ellen Nakashima, and I'm a third generation Japanese American born in Hawaii. And I'm JJ Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. The Lost Boys of Sudan refers to a group of more than 20,000 boys of the Nuer and Dinka ethnic group. They were displaced or orphaned during what's been called the Second Sudanese Civil War. This took place from 1987 to 2005. Two million people were killed and others were severely affected by the conflict. The Lost Boys were a group of boys who embarked on a treacherous journey to leave that. They went to refugee camps in Ethiopia and Kenya, where many of them was sheltered for a long time, but some of them found resettlement camps in the U.S. One of them was Abraham Awolich. 
Abraham prospered while here in the U.S. He went to the University of Vermont, and he got a bachelor's degree in anthropology and business administration. Then he got a master's degree in public administration from the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs at Syracuse. And then, later on, he went back to South Sudan to try to make a difference. But something happened, and he's here today to talk about it. Abraham Awolich, my friend, thank you for taking time to join me today. Abraham Awolich is known as one of the lost boys of Sudan, but he is not lost these days. He is very, very much focused on where he is, where he's going, and what he's doing. And uh, Abraham, thank you for joining us. I want to start off by asking you, if you will, tell us uh, about the situation in South Sudan. You've gone through some things in the last year or so you've gone through a lot over the years but the last year or so has seen some significant changes including you returning to the u.s so tell us about that story briefly thank you very much uh brother green for inviting me for this show this morning i really appreciate you and also to thank you for your service which you have uh been given to the people of the United States and the world for many years now. Now, the, the situation in South Sudan is a sad situation, uh, and it is important for the American people to know that in 2011, with the huge support from the United States and the international community, South Sudan declared independence. And that time was an exciting time, both for the people of South Sudan and those who have supported the people of South Sudan across the world, and mostly in Africa. Uh, the, the hope was that the people of South Sudan, at least for the first time in their lives, would determine their future, and that they were going to use the abundant resources given to them uh, by God to build their country and to improve the lives of their people who have been neglected for many years. And that peace was once again going to be established. Uh, however, since independence, um, South Sudan had peace briefly between 2011 and 2012. And by 2013, uh, South Sudan's leaders fought over leadership and, and took the country back to a civil war. And so last year, we marked the first decade since the independence of South Sudan. And so uh, a number of us who have been following events in the country uh, issued a statement uh, uh, looking at how we have performed in the last 10 years. And the review was uh, extremely negative, that the country has not experienced peace. There has been a lot of corruption that has been going on and so much killing, so much blood for no reason uh, other than for political power. And that we could not uh, continue on that path, that there was a need for South Sudan to go back on the track of peace and development and democracy. South Sudan has grown uh, more as an authoritarian state where people are not free to speak and people are arrested arbitrarily 
ethnic divisions are being flamed and fanned by, by, by political leaders. And so we came out and rejected that. And we said, that is not the South Sudan we fought for, and that is not the South Sudan that we stand for, and that the time has come for change. And so that is what provoked the government, obviously, to issue an arrest warrant for us and obviously threaten our lives. Uh, we could be, we were told to be brought to justice, either dead or alive. Yeah. And um, and so that is what happened last year. So, uh, and you had to immediately leave the country. And I, I think that that was really unfortunate on many levels. But um, part of the reason why it was so unfortunate was because you you had to leave the day, I guess, a day or a week after the 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 Sud Institute, which was your 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 venture to address and deal with many of these issues facing South Sudan and 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 beyond, was was opened, and it was because of a direct threat to arrest you. Is that correct? Right. Well, I was the I was the um, the CEO and uh, head of the Set Institute, which is a policy research organization that has been advising the government on matters of governance and and and, and services to the people for for ten years. Uh, it was shut down immediately after we made the statement, and that uh, it could not be reopened until I tended in my resignation, uh, which I did uh, by the 23rd of November last year. I tended in my resignation uh, to enable the organization to reopen. Uh, and uh, so the, the government obviously wants to make sure that uh, there are no uh, uh, opinions that are against uh, its authoritarian rule, and that every institution that is there in the country uh, can only operate if it's uh, if it is able to uh, tow the line. Yeah, and and the said institute was not in the business of towing the line, and so uh, Professor Jog Madut, who was the previous director, and myself had to resign uh, for the organization to be reopened. Yeah. So you had to leave the country, correct? And what did you do and where did you go? Well, uh, left the country in October. We, we got into the crisis uh, on the 30th of July. And we basically had actually called, uh, we had actually organized a protest uh, against the arrest of one of our colleagues, Quilla Guruquil, who has been in jail now for... Uh, one hundred and, uh, and 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 twenty two days today. Uh, no, not one hundred. Four hundred and twenty two days today. He has not been formally charged, and he has not been taken to court. So we had organized a protest against the government for his arrest, and uh, and obviously the government cracked down on that uh, protest. Didn't happen. And they continue to pursue us. So in the end, uh, if we want to continue to be a voice, we had to leave the country. Uh, and we went into the region, uh, into Uganda, into uh, Tanzania, and then came here in October 
to the United States in October uh, 2021. And so that is the journey that it took. What is your current situation now? Um, you know, I had the pleasure of sitting with you and being with you at the Vermont Council uh, of World Affairs uh, about a week or so ago uh, when you were honored as their person of the year. And that is an honor that I think was 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 well deserved for the for the work you've done and everything that you've done. I mean, you, for those who don't know, spent a long time in Burlington, Vermont, which is where this 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 council is located and the meeting took place. But anyway, you were honored there, and I'm glad I've had the chance to I was there with you. But uh, I want to talk to you about your situation now that you've been back in the country this time and how things are and 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 where you find yourself well uh since i got here i uh i i came purposely both to seek to seek safety but also to to raise awareness about the situation in south sudan and so i have been engaging some members of congress and uh, people within the us government uh, to inform them that uh, the situation in South Sudan has uh, is not getting any better, and it could get worse before it gets better, and so that demands that the United States uh, pays more attention to South Sudan and to support uh, people who are raising their voices that the country should go back to democracy, uh, and so I have been doing that advocacy work. Um, I had hoped to get a, a job, uh, but I haven't gotten that job that I was looking for because I felt that if I go ahead and get a job right away, that I may lose track of my advocacy work. And, 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 and I didn't want to lose that uh, focus. So for now, for the last one year, I haven't had a job and I have focused on trying to raise this awareness and to uh, actually also mobilize uh, the South Sudanese people who are here in uh, diaspora and, and also within the country, that the time has come for those who desire uh, to see democratic reforms in South Sudan to speak out. And so we recently created what we call National Consensus Forum. And this is a space where various uh, opposition groups and civil society get together to discuss about the fundamental issues that we believe have brought the country to where it is now and to chart the way forward in terms of how do we get the country back on track. And uh, and this is what we, uh, this is part of my advocacy, trying to say that such uh, initiatives should be supported both politically, financially, and morally so, because that's the only way you can kill the balance uh, of authoritarianism in South Sudan is to is to mobilize the more number of people who are willing and and who are able to speak up uh, to demand that there must be reforms in the country and that the country cannot be uh, run in the way we have seen it, where a number of warlords have grown more than the number of uh, entrepreneurs. And, and, and the country is totally bankrupt. People are really, uh, you could say the poverty level is, is far worse than even the pre-2011 
peace agreement in 2005. People are extremely poor right now. And you could say probably about 90% of the population has fallen below the poverty line. And so that is where I am now. So uh, what kind of response have you gotten here in the U.S. from Congress, from other stakeholders, and uh, I guess from the Sudanese population in the diaspora here? Well, uh, we found uh, among the South Sudanese in diaspora, we found a lot of enthusiasm and because people are frustrated. Uh, many, many people from South Sudan work two to three jobs here in the United States uh, to keep up the country, to keep the country afloat. They are actually the ones supporting educational system, health and food, uh, feeding their families, feeding uh, relatives and keeping them in school or uh, seeking medical facilities. The government has perpetrated that job. And so they are frustrated. And, and so they won't change. Uh, the U.S. Congress also has been very uh, responsive. Uh, and we saw uh, last year they passed a resolution in the Senate uh, by 100% number of members supported it that there is a need for the United States to change its policy towards South Sudan. And so where matters are going slow is, uh, is on the executive side, uh, where the president seem to have uh, his hands are full with the situation in Ukraine and domestic issues. And there has been little attention paid to uh, events in Africa and in particular to events in, in South Sudan. And that is exactly the where our advocacy is. We want to change that. We want uh, President Biden to pay attention to the situation in South Sudan and for the American people not to give up on the people of South Sudan. South Sudan was brought to life because of the support of the American people. And we don't want to lose that. Uh, we, there is hope in the support of the United States to the people of South Sudan. And when that support is not there, uh, the situation can be very bleak and, and very un, uh, un, unpredictable. That is absolutely correct. and. Um, I guess the last thing I'll ask you, uh, Abraham, is how can ordinary Americans help in this situation? Well, uh, there are three ways uh, the American people can help. Uh, one way is, and this, and we have found this in 2001, uh, is for them to talk to their uh, government through their representatives senators and, and members of the Congress to, to, to pay attention to South Sudan. And number two is for them to, uh, uh, to support initiatives like uh, uh, the, the, the PCCA, which is the People's Coalition for Civil Action, or the, the umbrella organization, the National uh, Consensus Forum. They can support it. Uh, by inviting people I asked to speak uh, in their schools or in the church or other places where people gather so that they can know more. Or they can, the third way is they can provide uh, financial support. And for now, we have uh, a charity organization based in Burlington called SUDEF. 
uh, which is Sudan Development Foundation, basically. That's uh, and it's S U D E F or dot O R G, uh, where people can uh, make some donations to support some of the work that we are doing. And uh, so I think that that that's what we hope uh, to do, or people like you in the media, uh, to get the story to be heard. Uh, South Sudan has disappeared in the news uh, simply because it is no longer a priority uh, in the U.S. Uh, policy, and so uh, we are basically now in the is it almost a dark hole. Uh, nobody hears from South Sudan. Nobody knows what is happening. But there is so much stuff going on. Our government, for example, last year, uh, this this past month. Uh, executed people by firing a squad, rounded up people that it thought were his opposition and shot them and burned one of the people in the house alive because he, he is considered to be an opposition. Uh, in the past, this would have made international news because it is an act so uh, brutal and against human rights that it should not be tolerated. Uh, yet uh, nobody heard about it, and so this is this this is also part of uh, supporting the people of South Sudan is to get the media involved to understand more what is happening. Well, uh, Abraham Awolich, we are watching. We will stay focused, and we will stay in touch with you and the situation. And I'm hopeful that you'll come back and talk to us soon. Thank you again for joining us today with this story. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and I hope to be back very soon. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. Hi, my name is Kiki and I am from the Massachusetts suburbs, but I was actually born in China and adopted and raised by a white American family. On one side, uh, they are second-generation immigrants from Portugal, and on the other side, it's a Swedish-Italian-American blend. So I think growing up, being Asian-American, but also being raised in a white household, um, just put me in between a lot of worlds. I didn't realize until college that everyone else would see me as being more Asian-American, and personally, I would identify more with my white peers. Um, and I kind of struggle with working for racial justice right now. I think that it's easy to gloss over being Asian or Asian American or Pacific Islander or indigenous. And I think that rightfully so, there's a focus on black and Latinx folks right now. But I wonder if there's more room for intersectionality as we continue to have these dialogues. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. My name is Rajesh. I'm American, but my race is mixed with Indian and Hispanic. And my current location is Ohio. My name is Gwendolyn Hume. I'm Anishinaabe. I grew up in Northwestern Ontario. My name is Wendell Osbrook. 
African-American, uh, Washingtonian. I'm Ellen Nakashima, and I'm a third-generation Japanese-American born in Hawaii. And I'm J.J. Green. I'm Black. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Hello, my name is Chelsea Jewett, and I am here interviewing Jack Hardy. We feature the Cayuga County, New York Oral History Project. When and where were you born? The goal is to learn as much as they can. Do you have any siblings? And to talk to as many people as possible. This is Alexis Rivers interviewing Danielle Bergen from Lahaina, Hawaii. Oral histories like this one are the key to our past, present, and future. And we'll talk more about the Cayuga County program. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's it for another episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. I want to say thank you to everybody who's helped us out and everybody that we're talking to about future episodes. I especially want to thank all those people who have had enough confidence and trust in us over the last couple of years and a half to talk with us and to do episodes with us. It helps us, too, if you would share this material with other people, because that way we get other stories. So please, share this with other people. And we want to thank Jesse Gallagher for her music. Thank you as well to Offshane, and thank you to Cosmic. And most of all, again, thank you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.